This is the Norris Group's Real Estate Investor Radio Show. The award-winning show dedicated to thought leaders shaping the real estate industry and local experts revealing their insider tips to succeed in an ever-changing real estate market. Hosted by author, investor, and hard money lender, Bruce Norris. The Norris Group proudly presents our 15th annual award-winning event, I Survived Real Estate. Industry experts join Bruce Norris to discuss evolving industry trends, real estate bubbles, inflation, and opportunities emerging for real estate professionals. All proceeds from the event benefit Make-A-Wish and St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. See isurvivedrealestate.com for event details, information on all our generous sponsors, and to connect with our speakers. We want to thank our Platinum Partners. San Diego Creative Investors Association, U Direct IRA Services, White Feather Investments, The Collective Genius, MVT Productions, and Realty 411. Hi, thanks for joining us. My name is Bruce Norris. Today, our special guest is Dykes Botterford. Uh, in 1981, a man named Jim Rohn taught a seminar that changed my entire life. And in 2014, with permission of the Jim Rohn's estate, we created the Roney Award to be given out at I Survived uh, Real Estate every year. The Roney Award honors investors and teachers who have changed the lives of people in our industry. Dyke Spotiford has been teaching people and changing their lives for a long time, and that's why he received the Roney Award. Uh, Dykes is a leading expert on how to hold property safely, has written a series of courses on how to protect your assets, he also has been involved in purchase of mobile homes, notes, houses, and apartments. His daughter, Dorsey, has also been involved in the business. She has uh, her own flipping business for the last 10 years or so. Dykes attended Georgia Institute of Technology, graduating with a BS degree in 71 and a master's in computer science in 72. Dykes, welcome back to our show. Thank you. Glad to be here. You know, what's, it's kind of fun when I read your your bio and your timing, we have, we have some things that are almost exactly in common. Uh, and then we have things that are absolutely the opposite. So you went to college. I got married at 17. So I didn't follow that one. Uh -huh. I did get involved in real estate in 1980. And then in 1990, really began it full time. And that's almost a mirror of what you did. Okay. And I, and I also had my, my kids get involved in the business. So that's, that's the similarities. Um, but, you know, we both have taught classes. None of the classes you teach are anywhere close to an expertise of mine. So we definitely headed in different directions. So that's it's it's interesting that real estate can be such a broad subject that you can both make a career or something and do something completely different than somebody else. Yeah, uh, my wife says that every five years I find some new area to get into just to <laughs> keep it interesting. She's right. Well, th that's good. Sometimes you don't know what you don't know, or you'd run across something. And go, okay, right. well, I think. Uh, well, that that definitely and happened it, to me. I I never intended yeah, to even teach. Well, I'm sure you agree that uh, you learned a whole lot more when you started teaching than you did than you knew before. Oh, absolutely. You're absolutely right about that, because that's uh, kind of another level of responsibility. That's right. Yeah. So I, right. I appreciate you saying that. People need to understand when when good teachers teach, 
they've given it their all and they look at it constantly and say, okay, do I need to change something? Is that as good as it could be? Right. Yeah. So that's a, that is part of. And you of don't, the, don't have to necessarily be a national speaker or even a local speaker, just getting together with one or two of the people that are interested in real estate or in the area that you're interested in can be uh, a good educational experience for both of Yeah, I know you know Jack Fullerton. I mean, if it wasn't for him, I would never have stood in front of a real estate audience. Yeah. Wasn't, yeah, wasn't in, yeah, wasn't in the back of my mind. You know, I, I, I didn't even like speaking, but um, he, he encouraged me to give that a shot. And so I'm very grateful that he did. Um, you know, you started... You started a whole different career, uh, went to college and then started working for um, a, a business that you became I pretty successful you became pretty successful at. Uh, when did real estate start to enter into the picture part time? Um, in nineteen eighty, I bought my first property and I did it basically because I needed an area to invest in. And I looked around at all the different kinds of investments that you could uh, in, be involved in and found that uh, I kept coming back to real estate as having a lot of the check check boxes that I needed, such as uh, I can uh, affect the value of property by my own sweat equity that I put into it working on nights, weekends. I could, uh, it was local, so that wasn't a problem. Didn't have to go a great distance away to find property. And it was a somewhat of a people association um, type of investment where you got to know other people and the value of those relationships also helped your investments. So that's when I started buying properties uh, using spare cash I had and cash I could uh, borrow from other people, including the sellers, uh, to, to build a portfolio that I had intended at first to, to pay off at, after uh, several years and uh, be able to retire if I wanted to or get into a different area of business. Okay. What was, what was the impetus as far as when you just, you just said a couple of topics, you know, seller carrying back. That's not a, that's not a typical topic that you would, you know, get out of the gate and say, um, let's have you carry back paper. So how did that idea dawn on you? And did the timing of the, let's say the interest rates in 1980 were crazy. So maybe the, right. exist, the, ex, the existing loans in place. Part of the reason I, I got, that was the impetus to really start studying some of this uh, seller care back financing or owner financing because the banks were wanting such high rates and if they would even give you a loan. And for most people, they wouldn't provide a loan because the rates were not so high that they were afraid that you might not uh, get paid. When I when I became an investor full time was uh, about 1981, so my timing was terrible. I refinanced uh, virtually free and clear residence at 17 and a half to become a real estate oh investor. My <laughs> as oh my, my as as my wife cried and signed the document. Now I'm not kidding. Yeah, oh my goodness. Yeah, so we well, went from had... went from no house payment oh, yeah. to a big house payment. <laughs> uh huh. Uh -huh. Yeah, I, I bought a rental house that I got owner financing for, and you would say I was crazy to do it, but I paid 24% on refinancing. The fortunate part was I bought it way on the market because nobody else was making an offer, and I was able to pay it off using the rents and a little bit extra money I had from 
my salary in, in less than two years. Well, you know, what's what's interesting about what you just said, that's very unusual because that was one of your first trans, first two transactions, right? That's correct. It was. What was the what was the training that preceded that? Was there any or you just decided, I think I'll make a low offer and see if it flies? Well, I had read that uh, about owner financing because, again, the, the banks weren't really listening to investors. They would make homeowner loans, but they didn't uh, make them any investor loans. So I knew about it. I knew that, uh, uh, that you try to get low rates from the seller, low interest rates, and low payments from the seller. But what uh, what really threw me was how was I, how I was going to do that with high payments. Well, the fortunate part is I had a, a math background, and that doesn't mean that you got to have a math background to be in in uh, real estate. But it made me uh, constantly recalculate things to see if there was a better way of doing it, it would make the numbers better. And that showed me that even the 24% interest rate for the short-term money that I could make the uh, investment fly, and I didn't make anything out of that investment for four or five years, but that's still a short period of time to start making a real good return because I was able to pay off the house. Right. Now, who was your first real estate trainer? Well, the first trainer was uh, a fellow, uh, actually can't remember his name. He was out of Canada and he went around uh, putting uh, advertisements in uh, local newspapers and doing seminars get people to come to a weekend class on uh, on real estate investment. Okay. Uh, I wish I could remember his name right offhand, but uh, he was out there and I didn't follow him very long. I, just, I got all the basic information that weekend and then I just started reading and talking to people. But my first real person that I uh, found and, and followed was, uh, was Jimmy Napier. Wow, and, okay. Uh, because I was also interested in notes and paper. Uh, and that side of the business. And then from Jack, uh, from uh, Jimmy, I met Jack Miller, who is uh, who was, was a great guy. Uh, sorry we don't have him around anymore. But he taught some very interesting classes on some of the nuances of investing. And uh, met a lot of people at his uh, meetings that were very advanced, had been in the business for a long time. And then, of course, Pete Fortunato and uh, others I met uh, subsequent to that. And uh, they were the ones that uh, encouraged me to continue to build my portfolio and do some classes. Was was your original plan to still do that on the side while you had a, a full-time job? Was that you're just going to go along with that? Or when did that change? Well, uh, I started, again, started in 1980 really didn't have a, a real objective except to get some free and clear houses. And I got married in 86. And I, then I decided, okay, I really want to do this full time. And I made a five-year plan to do that. And I was started on a five-year plan. I was good three years into it when uh, the company I worked for, and I was a VP for, uh, got bought out by a company on the New York Stock Exchange. And uh, as you well know, the upper management is the first to go when a company buys another company. So I was let go, and, and I didn't even look around for another job. I just got up in the, on the next Monday morning and went down to my little home office I had and started making phone calls. 
and uh, that's how I started my full-time investing. Now that was eighty-nine, oh, ninety. Yeah, that was around nineteen ninety. Okay. Well, that's interesting because um, that—that's the end. That's an end of a good cycle headed to a not so good cycle. Yeah. So, how did that change uh, what you did? Just curious. Well, it, it, I had a lot more time to put into the business, of course, uh, than I had when I was working for somebody else. Yeah. And I was able to do things that required me to be out and about during the day. So uh, I had intended to try to replace most of my salary. And what happened was uh, 12 months after I started that, I had I had made my the same salary that I had gotten from the company uh, twice over, basically. Wow. So I was happy about that. I bet so. Wow, that's that's a great yeah. start. How how were you attracting deals? What did you do to put deals well, together? Well, I tried the deals by doing uh, drive, driving for dollars, is what a lot of people call it, where I looked for owner, uh, for owner sellers. And uh, I didn't do a lot with uh, real estate uh, agents and companies. Uh, I worked out on the fringe, is what they would say, with okay. uh, owners, directly with owners. That gave me the the incentive to learn a little bit more about owner finance because of the possibility of an owner saying that they would finance, um, where you might not have that or, or probably wouldn't have that just even through real estate agents. So that's how I got into doing a lot of the owner financing was uh, just the kind of contacts I was making. Then I also uh, networked with a lot of other real estate investors. We had a local real estate uh, organization, and that brought in some deals because uh, I was far enough along I could do some deals that other beginner investors were unsure of and reluctant to do. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I got deals brought to me that were just on a platter. You know, if I knew what to do, I could uh, pick up the phone and uh, put the structure together and. Uh, make a good deal, whether it was a quick turn or a house I held for rental, uh, just depending on on the numbers. What did you concentrate on, um, or each each individual property? You decided whether it could work as a if it if it could, if it could work as both a hold or a flip. What would it have been your preference? Oh, always hold. Always if hold. It was a good hold property. Okay. Now, Really, what I did when I went to look at a house, I didn't have in mind, uh, I might have a, a, an idea of which I wanted it to be, but I didn't have a hard set in my mind which it would be. I'd wait until I went through the house, figured out what it was going to take to get it fixed up, see what the neighborhood looks like. And one of the things I always did was just kind of sat in the car for a while and watched the people in the neighborhood because the kind of people you find in the neighborhood are the kind of people you're going to have either for buyers of a house that you flip or for rental, um, the kind of people you would be renting to in that area. People like to be in a neighborhood area where there are people like them, both in economic uh, status and cultural status. So you kind of got to be honest with yourself about what is the neighborhood going to attract, what kind that's, of uh, buyers smart. or tenants. I used to do so from that. I would decide whether it was quick turn or not. Okay, I used to do something similar. I used to think, okay, if I get out of the car, do I have to lock it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, same, exactly. same, 
same thought pattern. You know, it's like, okay, if I have that's to lock right. it, um, if I have to lock the car, I'm flipping the house. <laughs> that's right. That's right. But at the same time, I kept reminding myself that the houses I bought hold for long term. You know, I didn't, uh, it wasn't poured in concrete that I had to hold those houses for a long length of time. If I had a house that wasn't renting because it just wasn't tracking the right kind of tenant, then I would mark that house to sales as soon as I could and maybe use, you know, I learned a lot about the tax uh, uh, methods of uh, buying and selling property, the 1031 exchange where you can sell a property, use all the cash that you derive from that property to buy another property and from tax purposes, all you've done is move your basis from one property to another. And uh, so I use that to upgrade my portfolio. So at least once a year, I would go through my portfolio and mark uh, one or two or three houses as uh, I wanted to get a better house. Now, I wouldn't force myself either to, to get a better house. If I sold a house and I had 1031 language in the uh, documents, I wouldn't say I got to find a house because that can make you forget a poor deal. Yeah. I would say, okay, if I can find a better house, I've saved some taxes or, post, or I actually postpone them for a later date. If I can't find a house, I got a good uh, cash return and I can pay the taxes and use what's left to reinvest. So there's a lot of self-discipline that is taught to you the hard way. And uh, if you pay attention to what's happening to you over a period of time, uh, you'll you'll gain a good education from that as well. Absolutely. Uh, I'm unfortunately, you, you know, it sounds like you went in sort of the you paid attention to people that had a fair amount of experience and knowledge early on. And I honestly avoided that like the plague because I was very suspicious of the of the training world. I had a brother that had attended that attended that stuff. Yeah, my brother attended the stuff, and I would look at what he got, and I went, "They don't know what they're talking about." <laughs> well, I think one of the things that helped me a lot was the fact that uh, there were local real estate uh, full-time investors uh, that I knew from the real estate meetings that uh, had come up. And after a while, of course, you figure out who's the real and who's uh, just full of hot air. And I'd listen to it. They said they, they went to this guy by the name of Jack Miller's class, and he taught them this, that, and that. You know, I said, well, that sounds like something I want to do. Mm-hmm. And they told me they had, that they, um, whoever was teaching another class was full of uh, whatever, mm-hmm. hot air. Uh, I wouldn't, I'd, like you, I'd stay, stay away from it like the plague. Well, what how I met Jack Fullerton, I had never been to a real estate club ever. And I had done a trade where I ended up with some mobile home lots. And it just so happened at his club, he had a mobile home uh, expert about lots and how to put units on there. So I attended my first real estate meeting. And Jack's, Jack Fullerton's opening statement was that anyone that says in California that they can buy houses cheap enough to immediately flip for a profit they are lying and i just sat there and i went wow that's what i do you know and so (laughs) at the end of the meeting i was the last i I was that last person that hung on which is always a that's the dangerous person right and so i came up to jack i said uh mr fulton i just want you to know that i do 
for a business what you say no one does. I flip houses. And in the parking lot, and I, I didn't know Jack Fulton at all, but you know, he's pretty frugal. So in the parking uh -huh. lot, there's like a Ford Fairlane that's probably 10 years old. And there's a brand new gold Mercedes and I have the gold Mercedes and he has lots more stuff than I do. <laughs> so I think he looked at that and kind of wrote me off. Well, the only reason I did the following was to kind of say, I wasn't kidding. I took pictures of a hundred mm -hmm. houses I had flipped and I sent it to him in a book. And I basically, I just wanted to let him know that that's, I wasn't kidding. He calls me back and right. says, I want you to teach in front of my group. I said, I have no interest in that, <laughs> but he, but he talked me into it and the rest is history. So that was pretty cool. All right, everybody. That's going to do it for this week's episode of the Norris Group Real Estate Radio Show and Podcast. Please be sure to catch us next week as we finish with part two of our interview with Dyke Spotterford. We'd also like to thank our gold sponsors, Chase Leland Photography, Inland Valley Association of Realtors, Keystone CPA Inc., LA South RIA, Lavis Tax Wealth Management, NorCal RIA, NSDREI, Pasadena Phoebe, Tony Alvarez, White House Catering, Wilson Investments, Windermere Tower Realty. See iSurvivedRealEstate.com for event details, information on all our generous supporters, and to connect with our speakers. For more information on hard money loans and upcoming events with the Norris Group, check out thenorrisgroup.com. For information on passive investing with trust deeds, visit tngtrustdeeds.com. The Norris Group originates and services loans in California and Florida under California DRE License 01219911, Florida Mortgage Lender License 1577, and NMLS License 1623669. For more information on hard money lending, go to thenorrisgroup.com and click the hard money tab.